messages on Hebrews, and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're in the faith chapter. And today we want to look at the faith of Moses. The faith of Moses. No doubt Moses is one of the greatest figures in human history, biblical or secular. The Word of God itself honors him many times and in various ways. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10 says, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In Numbers chapter 12, when Aaron and Miriam murmured in their rebellion against him, God intervened to remind them that he... Uh, had spoken to the prophets in visions and dreams, and then he explained in verse 7 and 8 of Numbers 12, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and in the similitude of the Lord shall be he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against thy servant Moses? To God he was... My servant, Moses. And God is still using the title after Moses was dead in Joshua chapter 1. Obviously, death doesn't end our service for him. If you can remember back uh, some time ago, it's been a while now since we were in chapter 3, but Moses was likened to Christ in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest, of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Think of that. When God wanted an illustration to show the faithfulness of Jesus, he used the example of Moses. And then he added there in verse 5, since faithfulness and servitude go together, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken uh, after. What a nobler, higher distinction can a man achieve than to be called by the Almighty God himself, my servant. That's surely the finest, noblest thing that could ever be said of a person, that could ever be said of you or me or anyone. Yet God himself declared it of Moses. Now our Lord said to his disciples in John fifteen fifteen, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have known, made known unto you. And the same thing was said basically uh, about Moses during his Old Testament wilderness wanderings. When Moses went to the tabernacle in the cloudy pillar descended upon it, and as the people watched from their tent doors, we're told in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, and his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, being instructed face to face by God in a manner and a fashion of his intimate friends. Now, we want to look at the faith of Moses in his life and his ministry. Now, so far, uh, we've looked at the faith of Abel, the way of faith, the faith of Enoch, the walk of faith, the faith of Noah, the witness of faith, the faith of Abraham, the worship of faith, the faith of Isaac, 
the willingness of faith, the faith of Jacob, the work of faith, the faith of Joseph, the wonder of faith, and tonight, or this afternoon, uh, it's not quite nighttime yet, but in this afternoon, uh, we look at the life of Moses, we see the worthiness of faith. As we look at the worthiness of faith in the life of Moses, we first see the courage of faith. Verse 23. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now while we see that that relates to the faith in the life of Moses, it's not speaking of his faith. Surely it's difficult to imagine a baby manifesting either faith or unbelief. But if Moses had anything at this point, it was unbelief. Tells us here that he was a proper child. That means he was normal. Uh, What do normal children do when they're babies? They cry. (laughs) Right? I just want to check, make sure that boy cried once in a while. I haven't heard a peep out of him since he's been in church, so he's, he's a proper child, we know that. But uh, normal babies cry, and how do we know he cried? Well, the Bible tells us so. Exodus 2.6 says, the baby wept. But I believe most of us are familiar with the story of baby Moses and how his mother did what she did to get around the decree by signing or by reigning uh, Pharaoh. And, of course, Pharaoh's decree was that all babies should be put to death. If you remember, she hid baby Moses in the bulrushes of the river for three months until Pharaoh's daughter came along, discovered the little guy. And so, initially, we see faith displayed by the parents of Moses. And I want you to see this in three ways. By faith, they defied the king's commandment. Who are these wonderful parents of faith and works? Just two common slaves. Two of the common crowd of slaves. They were not great saints in the class with David and Enoch and Abraham and Samuel and Noah. And some others are, uh, could be listed here in this great hall of faith. And yet they believed God. And that's what counts. And that was what set them apart from others. As common working people, they were in their class, uh, in our, uh, they were in our class, and yet, in turn, show that what would be possible for us to do if we believed God. If we believed God as they did. It's interesting that even though they played such an important part of the plan of God, that is, preserving the future deliverer of God's people, One of the greatest men in history, the average person, doesn't even know their names. I wonder how many of you know the names of Moses' parents. Don't say them, just raise your hand. If you know the names, both names. You probably know mom. You will say, oh yeah, I knew that. Because you've heard maybe some messages on Mother's Day about Moses' mother. You know their names? They are identified in the Word of God. They're not given to us here. Amram and Jochebed. Oh yeah, I knew that. Amram and Jochebed. 
Well, what did they do? They chose to obey God. By faith, they chose to obey God, and God is a higher authority than Pharaoh. He had said, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But God had said, thou shalt not kill, and whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man's Uh, By man shall his blood be shed. They chose to believe and obey God. That was a wise choice. Do you know that the abortionists have the same choice today? And we see the day coming, thanks to some of the rabid environmentalists and the population planners, when the law in America will be of limiting life. Limiting life through death. It's not that far away from us. It's happened in Egypt, remember? Pharaoh said, they're boys, you got to kill them. It happened um, in our day in countries like China, where they lim- put a limit on how many children you could have. If it happens in America, what will you do? Obey God or the government? What will you do if, or should they say, when our government endorses euthanasia? Close to that. These people are too old. They're not worth anything anymore. Just let them die. What are we going to do? These are serious questions. And they can only be answered correctly with a voice of faith. But here you have two people two ordinary common people that obeyed God rather than obeyed the king's commandment. Secondly, by faith, they were not afraid. Beyond any question, their lives were on the line, and it is one thing to defy a mighty king, especially when it happens to be one of the most powerful, feared men of the world, as it was with Pharaoh, and it's quite another thing to do it without fear. Amram and Jochebed did it. And faith, especially faith in God and His Word, is like the courage of lions. You look down in verse 34. We're kind of skipping ahead here, but in verse 34 of Hebrews 11, it says, Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turned to the flight of the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Only the faith of God can give courage to face that kind of treatment and do it without fear. They were not afraid. By faith, they defied the king's commandment. By faith, they were not afraid. And by faith, they performed the will of God. Did you ever stop to think of the effect the baby Moses' death would have had on the nation of Israel? Or Christianity, for that matter, or the entire world? Well, it might be argued that, you know, God could and would have raised someone else to do the work. That's true. 
But the fact is, he didn't, and Moses was the man God chose. Thank God for these parents, Amram and Jochebed. Their performance of the will of God was something they were not probably consciously aware of. That is, they did not know the impact their son would have on the world. And the point is, they did the will of God as they knew it. And God took the simple act of faith and used it to work out all the details. Listen, parents, and everyone else for that matter, you all have to listen. But especially parents, we need to be faithful to do what we know is the will of God and thus put ourselves in a position to be used of God to fulfill His perfect will. When faith follows God, it results in wonderful and mighty accomplishments, just as it did in the life of Moses. In fact, that is the only way to do the will of God, by faith. God will give courage as the occasion demands it. And so we see the courage of faith. Secondly, we see the choice of faith. Verse 24, by faith... When he was come to years, by faith Moses, when he has come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now these, I think, are some of the most challenging words in the Scripture, especially to young people, and others in their formative stages of life. What is important? What is important? Uh, what is your goal in life? You have a goal of wealth, education, maybe an illustrious career. Is it political fame and fortune? The question is, what will faith choose? And God may lead His children down any of those highways... But you know what? They're just scenic excursions. The main road, the real choice, is to do the will of God no matter what. Now, there were several choices that Moses made. One, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What a tremendous decision that was. It meant turning down his right to the throne of a mighty nation, Egypt. It involved turning his back on Egyptian wealth and power and pleasure and honor and successes at their seemingly, uh, and their seemingly limited possibilities. It was no light decision by any means. Moses refused to be called her son. He considered it shame, not glory, to be known as such. Like the son of a powerful billionaire king, he turned his back on everything, disinheriting himself from all the process, uh, in the process. And you might say he was kind of singing the familiar, uh, uh, the verse of a familiar hymn by T.O. Chisholm, which says, Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. I think he would have sang that song if he had been written by then. But that's what he was doing. This decision was made in his youth. It says, when he came to years. 
In that sense, he was like Daniel, of whom it was later written, probably when he was still in his teens, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And the best time to make decisions is when you're young. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the days evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You see, youth is the time to decide for God. Determining to sell out totally to Him. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then Moses chose suffering over sin. Now that was not an easy decision, you may be sure. It would be for anyone, since no one, it wouldn't be for anyone because no one enjoys suffering. I didn't uh, think I asked that question this morning earlier. No one seemed to raise their hand about that. Yet the writer here says he chose rather suffer affliction. That is to be ill-treated, to suffer the abuses heaped upon God's people. You can be certain that God's people will be abused. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and verse 18, said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I have said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Paul warned Timothy of the same thing. He assured him in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you plan to live a godly life? Well, be assured, before you make that decision, you're going to suffer persecution. Are you willing to make that decision? Moses decided it would be better to suffer with God's crowd than to have sin's enjoyments, even temporarily. And the scripture says here, then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It doesn't make any difference whether it was gratifying of a sensual appetite or the satisfaction of a high ambition or the gratification of a finer taste in the Egyptian court. The high road of sin is as bad and bitter as the low road if it prevents a person from walking by faith and doing the will of God. Moses realized that the pleasure would only be temporary would not last, would only be there for a brief season, and then it would be gone forever. James 1.15 sums it up. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Don't be fooled by the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses chose suffering over sin. And then thirdly, Moses esteemed reproach rather than the riches. The word esteem there can be thought of as accounted or considered. Paul used it in 1 Thessalonians 5.13 to describe how the saints should honor their spiritual leaders. 
Moses weighed both sides and the divine balances of reality and the scales tipped heavily toward Christ and his reproach. He realized there were greater riches, the true riches, in the reproach of Christ. He concluded it pays to live for God, to be sold out for Christ, and he acted accordingly. You say greater riches than Egypt's treasures? You know, the treasures of Egypt were considerable. And yet Moses deliberately made a choice that placed such luxuries beyond his reach. How could he do it? Well, he took a long look, and it says here he had respect under the recompense of reward. After carefully weighing the facts, he concluded that the best way would be to live for eternity, not time. As it says in Proverbs thirteen seven, there is, is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. May God help you and me to do the same following his example. We could only get our eyes and our minds off the vanities of this life. So we have the courage of faith, the choice of faith, and then thirdly, the action of faith. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. Three things here. Number one, he forsook Egypt. It's another way of saying he led the children of God out of the bondage and slavery of Pharaoh's dominion. Faith puts legs and feet to its decisions. It does something for God. Genuine faith is always active. In Moses' case, his action was not without tremendous difficulties. His own people would not listen to him at first. Their indifferent response was indicated by the statement of one of his brethren whom tried, he tried to help. He said, uh, one of his brothers said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? But like his brethren, Pharaoh would not listen to him. First tried to kill him. And when Moses finally got the support of his brethren and faced Pharaoh with the demand that he let God's people go, Pharaoh indignantly responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And he continued to refuse repeatedly, even with judgment following judgment. And he refused to let God's people go. But Moses didn't quit. He didn't give up. Faith keeps on, keeping on until it succeeds. And the faith of Moses was no exception. Time eventually came and... Although it took 40 years when he was able, along with all of God's people, to forsake Egypt. Secondly, he did not fear the wrath of the king. Pharaoh was one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful men in the world at that time. He could and would have easily ordered a man killed if he would have even uh, to have taken a drink of water. He had the power, the authority to do so, but Moses was not afraid of the king's anger. His testimony was the same as David's in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? His philosophy was the same as Paul's in Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He was like his parents. 
Amram and Jochebed. Don't forget those two names, okay? It's on your test. Amram and Jochebed. And then he endured seeing him who is invisible. So why didn't Moses fear the wrath of the king? It's because of the vision of faith. He endured seeing him who is invisible. That might be the most unscientific statement in the world, but it's a common experience and a daily realization for one who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen Christ? Have you seen Jesus? Not physically. But you can endure seeing Him who is invisible. So he said the courage of faith, the choice of faith, the action of faith, and that leads us to a fourth consideration, the obedience of faith in verse 28. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. We won't go back and read all the about the first Passover in Exodus 11 and 12, but suffice it to say that that was a final judgment upon Egypt and the convincing proof to Pharaoh to let God's people go. Now, if you remember, God told Moses that the firstborn in every home would, in the land would die in the middle of the night. To spare themselves, each Israelite household was to take a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year, to slay it, the head of the family would then take the lamb's blood and strike it on two sides of the doorpost and on the upper doorpost of the house. And then they would roast the lamb and eat it with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. Nothing was to be left. Every morsel was to be consumed before sunrise. And when the Lord went through the land of Egypt that night, he saw the blood upon the lintel and the two side posts, and he passed over, not permitting the destroyer to enter the house. They were saved by the blood. Thank God for that. And that's what we're going to remember here in just a few moments. The blood of the Lamb that was shed for you and for me. The blood on the doorpost was the only hope for the Israelites. In like manner, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only hope for our salvation, our deliverance from judgment. And then fifthly, the victory of faith. Verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Once again, the background scripture would be too long, and I've already given you the background scripture in Sunday school. If you've been here for Sunday school, we've been talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. One of the great victories recorded in God's word tells of a victory out of apparent, almost certain defeat through faith. After Pharaoh realized his slaves were gone, he had second thoughts. He ordered his troops to follow them, to bring them back. At first, it looked as the Israelites were trapped. There were mountains to the south and to the north, and Pharaoh's army behind them, and the sea was Red Sea was in front of them. Apparently, they were hopelessly boxed in. No way escape, but not quite. There was one other direction to look, and that was up. Moses told the people to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The angel of the Lord put a wall between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the waters and they were divided, enabling the Israelites to go through in the midst of the sea upon dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And when Pharaoh and his army tried to follow, the Lord told Moses after the Egyptians had gotten halfway across to stretch out his hand over the sea a second time. And when he did, the waters returned to their natural position and Pharaoh and all of his army were drowned. Looked like a hopeless, impossible situation. But God. 
Remember that. But God. Listen, when things are darkest, that's when God really begins to work, show His power for the people of faith. Now, as you think about life of these great men of faith, Moses never loses sight of his father. What was his father's name? Amram. Told you it was going to be a test. His wife or his, his mother was Jochebed. Story cannot be told without their story. Even as our text clearly indicates, parents, what opportunities you have in your hands. Commit by faith your children to God. And I would say to you who are grandparents, including myself, commit by faith your grandchildren to God. But even before you do that, there must be a committal of yourself to God and His will for your life. Only then can you confidently, expectantly turn your children over the hands of God for His molding and for His shaping. Listen, young people. Make a choice like Moses did. Choose to stand with the people of God over the things of this world, rightly evaluating even the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the world's treasures. There's someone here this afternoon who's not saved, never turned to Christ in simple faith. Follow the example of Moses, basing your redemption upon the Son of God's finished work at Calvary. After all, it's only the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, which cleanses us from all sin. And so we see again the way, the walk, the witness, the worship, the willingness, the work, the wonder, and the worthiness of faith thus far in this chapter. May God bless as we continue to meditate upon these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.